everybody. Welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. As a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms. Be sure to rate, subscribe, click that like button, do whatever else it is that you do to listen to us every single week. I'm Tony Andracki, Andy Martinez, Tim Stebbins. We're going to break down the end of the Cubs season because here we are, October 2nd. It is the five-year anniversary of the last playoff game at Wrigley Field with fans. Obviously, 2020, they did not have fans. Uh, but we're going on six years now since the Cubs last won a playoff game. Obviously, they're not in a playoff, the playoffs now. Um, totally understand where fans are coming from just in terms of the disappointing factor of the season. The, the Cubs had a lot to say about it as well, and we'll get into all of that. We're basically going to break down in this podcast what we feel like went right, what went wrong for the Cubs this season. But, Andy, I'll start with you. Like Just initial impressions of the way this season ended for the Cubs and sitting here where Cubs do not have a workout day today in advance of the wildcard series. They're going to start packing up their lockers, packing up Wrigley Field, and, and head home for the winter. Yeah, it's it was a disappointing and bitter end to how the season started and really how the summer went more so than, than the season overall. But, I mean, it, it looked like so much promise and it looked like so much hope, especially in August when it seemed like the Cubs not only were winning every game, but were doing so in just blowout fashion, right? Just putting 20 runs on the Reds or, or scoring a ton of runs in, in route to a win. And the bullpen was clicking. The rotation was, was kind of doing its thing and the offense was clicking. And then in September, it, it was just like, it, it just fell off. And, and especially those last three weeks or so, it, it, it faded into the point where it went from, yep, they're going to be in the playoffs to here we are on October 2nd and the season's over for the Chicago Cubs. Tim, what did you think? What did you make of just the Cubs? Um, it, it was a collapse. I mean, they were 92% chance to make the playoffs as recently as September 6th, coming off that series sweep of the Giants. Uh, they were four games up on the final wildcard spot three and a half in the second wildcard spot, only a game out of a game and a half out of first. But like now we're at this point, three and a half weeks later, like what do you make, Tim, of, of just the way things have gone for the Cubs? You know, here we are on October 2nd. I think if I, if I zoomed out in a vacuum, you can appreciate the season. You know, like it was a step forward. We can all acknowledge that. But there's definitely a stinging feeling, I would think, for them. And I think that's a level of disappointment for sure. I mean, especially when you see how the standings, the final standings turned out. I mean, one less win than both the Diamondbacks and the Marlins. Um, and, and just think about some of the opportunities you had, especially down the stretch with Arizona, just to directly impact your place in the standings head-to-head against them. And uh, as it turned out, after 162, one game here, one bounce here, one bounce there, like you're in the play- you're in the playoffs. And that's despite uh, a really, like we were saying, a, a bad September, uh, a tough finish. So... I think like overall you can you can appreciate this season while also thinking there's there's a bit of a missed opportunity here for sure. I think they would acknowledge that as well. Yeah, and I, I think what stands out to me too is like down this stretch, it felt like so Tom Rickett said it was a tale of four seasons. That's what he thought when he talked in the middle of the finale on, on Sunday in Milwaukee, because they started out so good. The first two, three weeks. I mean, we were even talking on this podcast. It felt like playoff baseball in the middle of April. And then they went on the stretch for over a month, you know, six weeks or so where they were struggling to get consistency in four weeks of that. Cody Bellinger was out, um, but they were trying to figure out all of these different things out. Kyle Hendricks had not yet come back to the rotation, figuring so many of that, so much of that stuff out, and they struggled for a while. And then they turned it on. Bellinger came back. The team got hot at the right time. They ended up buying in the deadline. The last three or four weeks to me felt very similar to that May and early June yep. stretch. It felt like 
Yes, there was a lot of bounces that didn't go the Cubs' way. I would call them an unlucky team, just as like an observer watching this and also being in the clubhouse talking to guys and hearing that. Like, I don't think they were making excuses. I think they were just legitimately talking about the fact that bounces were not going their way. I mean, a ball bouncing off of Hayden Wesneski, the, the extra inning. That's, that's what, what I, was, I was gonna say. Like that yeah. game, and you think about it, like to your point, right? One bounce. Hayden Wesneski has two strikes. The Cubs are up one run. You get that third strike, game over. Cubs win. Cubs win that game. On the record, this is the takes, training and game in Arizona. By the yep, way, yep, we're yep, about. yep. You take that away, the Cubs are in the playoffs. They're, they clinched yesterday because of mm-hmm. Arizona's loss. Like that's how minuscule the margins are. Like that's what it comes down to is that one bounce where it goes against Hayden Wesneski, bounces off Hayden Wesneski, and Dansby's already leaning the, the over towards the second base bag, so he can't really make a play at, at catching it, and he has to kind of put it in his pocket. Like all these things, these break, that break just goes that one way, and it's like. That isn't the reason the Cubs aren't in the playoffs, right? Like, there's there's multiple reasons, but like that is one play where, mm-hmm. if the bounce goes the other way, if it maybe the ball's maybe a foot to the to the left, and and Dansby can make that play, game's over, the Cubs win. Like, there's just like that was to me the microcosm of one bounce or, or one thing going against the Cubs' way. Yeah, I mean, really, we can even just continue on that Brave series. Each series, each game had it in Atlanta. Yeah. You know, Seiya catches that ball in the bottom of the eighth inning. Maybe it's a different story. Maybe the Cubs win in game one. They still had Ronald Acuna coming up in a one-run game in the ninth. Would have been super interesting to see how Julian Merriweather closed that out, or if he did. You know, game two, that was the Nico flip, right, where he yeah. flew, you know, threw it over Dansby's head. They didn't even get one out, let alone two. Uh, Javier Assad, you know, bobbled the ball, like, coming out. Uh, you know, he could have had a play at home if he fields it cleanly. Like, just all these little things and in close games that matter, and those add up. And like you said, it's not just about one game and that cost him the season. It was adding all of these things up. And I think a lot of the bounces went their way during that good stretch. And some even went their way in Atlanta, right? Like yeah. that foul tip, uh, who was hitting? Was it Candelario? Jamer, Jamer was hitting. Yeah. You know, a foul tip, clearly a foul ball. They rule it a pass ball, run scores. Mike Talkman, you know, kind of avoiding the slide and the tag there. Uh, was it an incredible play? Got the Cubs a couple of runs. They ultimately were swept anyways, as we know. But, like, I'll ask you guys this. So we were talking 92% chance to make the playoffs per Fangraphs odds after September 6th. Cubs went 6-14 and 14 over their next 24, 20 games. That's how they ended up out of the playoffs. What was their run differential in that time? Do you guys know? It's a little bit of a trick question. But I'd say it's probably close to, close to even, probably like round zero. Just close. Uh, I thought they were – I think I've seen this, so I won't steal your thunder. No, go ahead, if you know it. I thought it was, like, slightly in the positive. It, it's negative five, but oh, so I'm right way off. So close yeah. to 500 ball. <laughs> when you're 12 games under 500 and your run differential is only negative five, it's because they had so many one and two run losses, and a yeah. bunch of their wins were, you know, they had a 14 to one win in there. That certainly helps, but like that was the case all year. I mean, they had a run differential almost 100. They were third in the National League, a fourth in the National League, I think, in run differential this year. They're Pythagorean record is way higher than it should be, yep. but that's what happens when you go thirty and forty-one in one and two-run games over the season. Like, and compared the to the Marlins, things. who were like thirty-three and fifteen or something like that, yeah. one-run games where like that was totally the complete opposite, right? Like, if a couple of the, those bounces go against them, maybe they're they're not even sniffing a playoff spot. And and yeah. like going back to like one play, like I look back at the Marlins series when the Marlins are in town and the Cubs have a chance to sweep them untie the season series and then the tiebreaker goes the interdivisional record Edward Alzola has a balk in like the 13th or 14th inning I forget how, how that game was a pretty long game but I remember Edward Alzola has a balk and then the Cubs don't score in the bottom half if he doesn't balk and he strikes that guy out I believe 
they come out of that without giving up a run and the Cubs have a chance to walk it off. Instead, they don't they don't score a run and they lose. Like again, the marginal things like it's so small. Clearly went the Marlins way, didn't go the Cubs way. Not necessarily the whole reason for why one team is in and one isn't, but that kind of also sums it up too. Yeah, I mean, it, Anthony Rizzo always said it best. Like it's baseball, man. Like he yeah. said that. I don't know, a thousand times during his <laughs> tenure at the Cubs here. And it is. This is the way baseball goes. And if you're not able to to find success in those little moments, this is where you are. If you're the Cubs or if you find success, like the Diamondbacks and Marlins, then you're playing for the playoffs. And maybe neither of those teams advance beyond the wild card round. I don't know. But I know from the Cubs in the clubhouse, from fans, just even getting to the wild card round would have been a level of success that obviously everybody was hoping for. But let's talk about, let's let's kind of shift gears a bit and just reflecting the season about what went right for this team so we talked big picture maybe some of the things some of the reasons why they're out of the playoff picture but Tim I'm going to start with you like what do you think went right for the Cubs this season um well I'll just throw I mean we can have a list of a dozen things easily right but I'll, I'll just throw say a Suzuki out there to start I mean yeah. I think last year they were high on him going into last year, and we know pretty early on he has the injury to his hand, and that keeps him out for an extended stretch, and there's obviously an acclimation period coming from Japan to MLB. Uh, and I think you still saw something there. It was just kind of a matter of all that adjustment and, and missing time. This year, there was a, a long stretch there where he was struggling, right? We all know, like, they, they, they sat him on the lineup for a few days, and the final numbers and what he showed and how he can carry a team in September, I think you go into next year you look at that guy and you think, okay, like that's when Tom talks about the core to us yesterday, say Suzuki in his emergence this year, that's a huge part of that to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think like by, you know, by them getting to this point of the season, he was a big part of it. And then it makes you wonder like, okay, what step can he take next year from what he already did this year? Yeah. And I think too, what I was most impressed about with Saya was the rebound and the the response to adversity. Like Jamer Candelaria is acquired, Saya is the guy on the outside looking in. It was Mike Talkman moved over to right field. Saya wasn't playing against righties for about ten days. He had a couple starts against left-handed pitchers, and then it, you know after that, then he finally kind of started working in. He had some great at bats, but he basically had this reset. And then he comes back in the lineup, performs incredibly over the final two months of the season. And even when he struggled, you know, when he didn't make that catch in Atlanta, I was like, okay, like maybe this is what does say it in his next four or five at bats. He looked like he was struggling up there, but I mean, then I think it was the final game in the Atlanta series. He had three hits. Like he kept coming back, and like the even the final few games, you know, that he played in Milwaukee, like he looked really good at the plate. And like I think his response to adversity to me is what stood out the most from him because, as you said, Tim, like it is an adjustment period. He has been hampered by injuries. He started this year slow, you know, because of the oblique injury missed the first couple of weeks. So I think that response to adversity, and, and he even said himself yesterday, Sunday before the final game, that it was confidence that really helped him play well down the stretch. Those two things I think you can carry over to next year and feel good about where Saya is. Yeah, and with Saya especially, like you talked to a lot of the players, you talked to a lot of his teammates, and like a lot of people always felt like he was the most talented pure hitter on the team, right? Like that he, just from a pure talent standpoint, was the, the best pure hitter and, and kind of do the, the most with the bat and to your point those last couple months like that is the kind of player that can carry an offense when he's hot and to a certain extent he kind of did in September we we'll get into it but like Cody Bellinger has struggled a little bit late in September say Suzuki kind of picked it up like that to me was was really impressive but for me the biggest uh, sign of like the the biggest positive or like the biggest sign of uh, for the Cubs in 2023 was Justin Steele 
Um, I think we saw flashes of it last year, but then he, 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 in September, he doesn't finish out the month. And it's like, okay, like, can he take on a full season? And he was a Cy Young candidate all the way down to the wire. Like, I think it'll be Blake Snell that, that gets that award. But, I mean, he was one of the best pitchers in the National League, one of the best pitchers in baseball. And uh, David Ross mentioned it perfectly uh, after before the, the last game. Like, it kind of felt like you Darvish in 2020 when he was managing, where, like, you knew when he was going out there, like, you had a pretty good chance of winning. That is the hardest thing to find in baseball, right? You always see a star pitcher. You see Garrett Cole get a lot of money. You see the Aces get a lot of money. For the Cubs to be able to develop their own and have a pitcher where they feel like when this guy goes out there, they have a chance to win, I think that's a really big win for, for the franchise. And you think about the, the rotation as a whole. Like Marcus Stroman looked really, really good and was probably a Cy Young candidate for the first few months, but then he kind of tailed off and had injuries. Drew Smiley almost threw a perfect game and was really, really good for the first couple months. You could have mentioned him in the Cy Young candidate too for the first couple months. Then he tailed off and was shifted to the bullpen. Jamison Tyon was signed to a big contract and, and until the last month kind of was really, really up and down, but more so down than up. And then that fifth starter spot it eventually went to Hendricks and he was solid, but it was really the whole time it was Justin Steele who was carrying the rotation and, and was the steadying presence for, like, if there was a bad run of starts, he knew, okay, that third day, Justin Steele's coming up and you feel good about your chances. Like, we might not have gotten those good starts those first two days, but Justin Steele on that third day, like you know, you're going to get something solid. And to me, that was the the biggest sign for the Cubs. I think I think, you know, counting stats, a lot of like offense pitching people aren't a fan of as much as you know, like there's more advanced metrics to tell you how well a player performs, right? I think with Steele, a we can see with our own our own eyes, but I think his counting stats are just showing you his development, his you know, emergence as this pitcher, right? Like just from his first year starting when. He didn't even get into the rotation until halfway into that summer, but each year he's obviously made more starts, and that's, you know, 2021's kind of not a great example because it was only nine, but more starts, more innings, more strikeouts, right? Like, each year he's just kind of taken another step forward as a starting pitcher when I think two years ago this time there was fair questions about can he be a reliable yeah. mid-rotation starter? And, mm-hmm. and now we're talking about him as going to next year, you know, like, Obviously, you know, maybe they go out there and do something we don't know yet in, in the offseason, but he's going to be at the top of your rotation in some capacity, and right now he's number one, and that's a, a testament to, to his uh, continued development. Really yeah. quickly, to, to his point, like Keegan Thompson and Justin Seal were middle relievers in that 2021 season, and they really had some up. Both of them had some up and down starts. They looked really good sometimes. They looked not so good sometimes in starts. Like two years ago, to have predicted that this would be Justin Seals kind of would have been, you would have been crazy to, to, to think that. Yeah, and I think it's it's just huge because, like you guys are saying, to count on that, you, you go into next year and you have an ace. And like you said, Tim, we're not exactly sure what the Cubs' moves are going to be this winter, but you have an ace next year already. And if you sign another frontline starter, trade for one or whatever else, then great, your team's that much better. But like you know who your opening day starter is right now, I and mean, it's Justin Steele. And I think it's also important because of the trickle-down effect of like, this is a win for the pitching development for the entire organization. Yep. Like, when was the last time the Cubs had a homegrown starter come up and be this level of dominant or even just you know marginally successful for this period of time for as a starting pitcher? I mean, I I don't think it's happened the entire time that I've been on the Cubs beat. You know, dating over a decade because like Kyle Hendricks was you know he was great a great story, but he was with the Rangers and yep. came over and like a lot of other guys that have come up and been successful. But that was the whole knock on Theo and Jed's first decade of their tenure was they weren't producing pitchers coming up through the system but Justin Steele is a guy who 
you know, he had Tommy John surgery. He was a little bit of an older prospect coming up, like you said, started as a reliever. To take these steps, I think you feel really, really good about that as an organization. It's a win where, and Ross has pointed this out, not specifically about Steele, but just in general, that there are so many people in the organization that can look at Steele's success and feel proud for themselves on. And I think that's huge too, just moving forward is like knowing that as the rest of the team, that like you're onto something, you can develop pitchers, all of this stuff. It got them over the hump, and I think that's pretty huge. Yeah, it really is, and it's it's gives you a little bit more confidence when you see some of these younger guys that are coming up in terms of like a Cade Horton, right? Like maybe like five years ago, if that was Cade Horton coming up, maybe you're like, well, yeah, he's a top prospect, but like what can really happen? Now you see someone like Justin Steele, and you're like, okay, like, yeah, like there's maybe some more credence or more belief that Cade Horton theoretically could come up and, and be a solid starter. Not saying like that's a for sure guarantee or anything, but like that gives you some confidence with, with Justin Steele to your point about just that that success story breeds confidence in in terms of you, what you're doing is you're doing it on the right path. Yeah, and um, you know, kind of switching gears a bit, but just my takeaway that I thought the the number one thing that went right for the Cubs this year was Cody Bellinger. Yeah, it was uh, he was a, the, the biggest question mark. I mean, Justin Steele was so good before he got hurt last year that I think everybody felt good coming into this year that he would be at least a mid-rotation or reliable one, two, three starter. Cody Bellinger, nobody knew what to expect. Nobody. I mean, the Dodgers non-tendered this guy. Uh, Former MVP, everybody knows the story where he's been at, the shoulder injuries that impacted his performance. I was not expecting this. I wasn't expecting a 15% strikeout rate. I wasn't expecting, you know, being in the conversation for the batting title for a good stretch of time there, for hitting over 300, for doing so well against lefties. He actually performed pretty significantly better against lefties than righties this year. Uh, We knew that, you know, elite defense and center and at first base if they needed it, which they turned out they did. We thought that would be good. You know, really kind of interesting guy. But, like, he had such a profound impact on that clubhouse. He filter down the rest of the lineup when he started going was when the Cubs started going when he was out or struggling the Cubs were were down and were struggling like you can go back and look at the schedule their worst month was the month he was out over the stretch and I know you have the stats for this too Andy like over the final three four weeks of the season he wasn't horrible but he he slumped a bit and when he slumps the Cubs slump and like he was far and away the MVP of the team this year. He will get NL MVP votes. He obviously won't win it. I don't think he'll finish in that top four, but like maybe he's the fifth place MVP guy this year. And voters vote for 10, by the way. So like he'll get some down ballot votes. Votes. I, I think it was just an incredible season and it was an absolutely worthwhile gamble for the Cubs to, to take on Cody Bellinger. And to your point, right, since September 7th, his numbers, so September 7th was the, the beginning of the Diamondbacks series at Wrigley Field, kind of when the struggles started for the Chicago Cubs. 235 average, 312 on base percentage, 370 slug, 87 weighted runs created plus. Those that's like not bad, right? Like that's solid. Like if you would have said when you signed Cody Bellinger, like this would be the production you get, you probably would have taken it, especially with his defense, right? But when you compare it to the rest of the season, you compare it to just how badly the Cubs struggled in that stretch, it really puts a da- it really sums up to your point, like how much the Cubs were reliant on Cody Bellinger, and this is that isn't a knock on him. Like it's not like these last three weeks they didn't get in because Cody Bellinger struggled. It's like, well, someone else needed to step up, and no one really ever stepped up, right? Like, say Suzuki stepped up, but Jamer Candelario was hurt. Like, the big midseason acquisition, he was hurt for a bulk of that. He couldn't he couldn't help him. Dansby Swanson struggled in the, in the month of September. Like, all these things kind of went against them that when Cody Bellinger struggled, there was not that balancing act, right? It was kind of like, well, Cody Bellinger struggling, that really shortens up the lineup, and, and we saw kind of what happened those last three weeks. 
It's probably just a cynic in me, but I remember when he went out and it was, you know, a month, like we're saying. And I remember thinking back then, like, okay, like when he gets back, it's based on how the team was struggling. Yeah. Like we're saying they struggled without him and that there's no, that's not a coincidence. But I remember thinking back then, like, okay, he's got a couple of weeks left with the Cubs uh, before the deadline. And then, you know, we, what the expectations at that time, I think, were. But then he came back and, like we're saying, like he took off. He was one of the best players in baseball from that point on when he came back and no surprise that they took off too right so um i think that's kind of an underrated aspect of this is like we know how good he is we know how much he meant to them but like when he's right like that he's in the the heart of their success all year and, and that's why i think going to this offseason i know you wrote about this tony like that's the biggest question for them going into you know the, the free agent market the trade market everything what what does his future look like yeah, I think, I mean, it is the biggest question, right? Like every Cubs fan wants to know. I feel like, it, you know, Cubs fans who have, I've just talked to like casually, that's the number one thing that they ask, will the Cubs resign Cody Bellinger? Like, I don't know for sure. Um, I do know that they want to. I yeah. know that every, I mean, even Tom Rickett said we'd love to have him back, but it depends on the free agent market and it depends on how Jed Hoyer allocates the, the funds. I mean, the, the free agent market is the wild card here because do the Giants come out after trying for, for all these big superstar players over the last few years and striking out on all of them, the Aaron Judges and the Carlos Correas and stuff, do they come out and make Cody Bellinger the guy, the face of the franchise? I mean, him patrolling center field in that spacious ballpark sounds good. They could use a hitter. What Like, do they just throw a ton of money at him? Yeah. Do they throw $300 million over 10 years or something? You know, something, a contract that most other teams probably won't get. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. That's the wild card. But if it's in a somewhat reasonable range, I actually, I fully expect the Cubs to be in that range, to be yeah. to be in that conversation because you take Cody Bellinger's production out of this. I mean, 130 games, missing a month of the season, still almost 100 RBIs, still almost 100 runs scored. And Tim, like you talk about, counting stats aren't everything, but like that means something to the team when you lead the team in, in homers or, uh, yeah, I think he did lead in homers, right? Or was he and Morrell tied? Either way, he's right up there, leads in RBI, runs scored, OPS, average, on base, like all of this stuff. He's right up there. I, you can't lose that production and expect to take a step forward next year offensively unless you backfill in some way. And it's never as easy to backfill one as you can with one player and one player who can play center, who can play first base, who's also a left-handed hitter in a lineup that's pretty right-handed dominant. Like he should be their number one target. I believe he is their number one target. I think everybody wants him to be, wants him to be back. It's just a matter of whether the contract comes in or not. So like, I don't have a prediction. I'm not going to put you guys on the spot or say that either, but like, Bellinger coming back, he was the big biggest success story of the season. Him coming back this offseason would be the biggest success story of the offseason. Yeah, the only thing I'll quickly add on that is, like, the Cubs aren't afraid to go necessarily long on a contract. Danzig Swanson, seven years, right? Say Suzuki, five years. Like, that isn't necessarily, like, it's the, the extra years that are becoming more common, right? Yeah. And, and you look at Xander Bogarts, a, a Scott Boris client. Was he 11 years or 10 years, uh, 280? Yeah, I think he might have been 11, a lot, yeah. Like, I wouldn't. I can't see for a 28 year old outfielder. I can't see Scott Boris not trying to go ten, over 10 years on a contract. Do the Cubs necessarily want to do it? Probably not. But I mean, to your point, like you just don't know. Like maybe the maybe that market somehow doesn't materialize and it can go in that five, seven, eight year range, and, and maybe that's a little bit more more reasonable. I think there's going to be a, definitely a couple teams that like like you mentioned, San Fran, right? Like Farhan Zaidi was. After Bellinger was drafted, he became the Dodgers GM. Yeah. Now he runs the the Giants front office, and you know the Yankees were said to be very interested in Bellinger uh, before they decided not to buy at the deadline, right? So there's that's two prominent teams that uh, like the Cubs are going to be interested, but they're 
definitely not going to be alone in that regard. Yeah, and I mean, um, Shohei's going to be out there in free agency, but he's not going to be Shohei, at least next year. Like, he's not going to be pitching yeah. probably all season. So, uh, Cody Bellinger and Shohei Otani, I mean, offensively, Shohei still has a leg up. But, like, defensively, Cody adds that element to it, right? So, like, I, I would not be stunned if they have somewhat similar contracts or the teams that are going for Shohei that don't get him end up pivoting and going the Cody Bellinger route, whatever it may be. But, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's going to be super interesting just to see how it plays out. I will say, too, like, he loved it here, and, and he was talking after Saturday's game just how much he did. He loved it here, loved the group of guys, loved the coaching staff. And I my read on it was, like, he wasn't just saying that, like, people say that at the end of a season. I think he really did like it here, and he was very comfortable here, and that showed on the field. And he had a relationship with Dustin Kelly dating back prior to you know, Cubs, uh, him being a Cubs hitting coach and, and signing Bellinger signing with the Cubs and all that. But I think he really did enjoy it here. And like, there's definitely the potential uh, that he returns, but we'll see how that plays out. As for, as far as other things that went right, um, a little bit smaller scale, but like, I think the Mike Talkman story was really cool. I think it was one of the better stories of the year, but it definitely went right in the sense that like the, the lineup definitely started to, to feel more stable, more consistent when you had Talkman leading off against righties and finished the year with a 360 on base. Uh, like we said, cool story overall, maybe struggled a little bit in you know the back half of the season, not quite as productive as, as he was earlier in the year, but still, I mean, very stable, consistent guy at the top of the order and a little bit of a hot take, but like, I think the Cubs are in the playoffs right now if Talkman's on the opening day roster. Because I think we go back to like, I don't game, think it's that much of a hot day. Yeah, I mean, game two, it was was it Master Boney that was in right field that that ball like was just out of reach. Mike Talkman catches that ball if he's in right field. Like they were playing Miles Master Boney, who's more of an infielder, and Trey Mancini, who struggled defensively all year at first base, let alone right field. They were playing those guys for the first couple of weeks. If Talkman's on the opening day roster while Seiya's hurt, I think the Cubs pick up another win or two and they're playing in the playoffs. And we're talking about a workout day today instead of this. So I, I think Talkman was a great story. I, I expect him to be back next year. I'm not quite sure in what capacity or what role, but it's just a good story this year. Definitely a success. That's a good one. I think another one for me is Nick Madrigal. I think to me, like, that, like, I, I, I know sitting next to you in the press box, there's plenty of times where, like, he would make a play at third base, and I would just tell you, like, it's still amazing to me that he's yeah. playing third base this well. Like, like I, I remember being next to Jed when he mentioned at CubsCon that Nick Madrigal was was working out and preparing to be a third baseman and I almost like like this is gonna sound terrible but I almost like laughed I'm like what like he's only ever played second base like how can he play third base at the major league level like that's to me sounded ridiculous and ludicrous and Nick Madrigal went out there and not only played third base but was one of the best defensive third basemen in baseball like he was really really good and when he was hitting like that was uh, uh, to your point about Mike Talkman like that was length in the Cubs offense like it was a bitter end to, to his season in terms of getting hurt, but like that to me was just will never not be amazing to me about the 2023 season. Tim, what else stood out to you? What was the success this year from the Cubs? Well, they extended guys finally, right? Need yeah, to, yeah. That's, that, it's true. That also yeah. feels like three years ago. It too, does. By the way. It does. Well, that's my. I'm going to use this as a vehicle. They extended two guys, and by the end of the season, I think you can. In the moment, you knew it looked good, Nico Horner, Ian Happ. But I think by the end of the season, you look at the numbers and you can. Nothing's changed there. It's like clearly that was good moves. Like Nico Horner, I know I know we all talk about like he's a steady presence, great defender, great base runner, you know, great top of the order kind of guy. But like I, I almost wonder if he's a little underappreciated. Like you look at his numbers this year. I'll say this first: for one, he played 150 games. And this was yeah. a guy that before last year and he ended last season with some some injury issues. 
for a guy that that was a question, I'll say going into last year more so than this year, clearly, but 150 games. He, he had a jump in batting average. I know we're talking about counting stats again, but like that was a guy that steady presence, I think all year round, you could say he was start to finish very consistent. And I know Ian Happ, like, God, go on Cubs Twitter, and if you want to get into an argument, like, just <laughs> fi- search Ian Happ on, on, on Twitter. Uh, there's clearly a, I think you can get a bigger argument if you search David Ross right now. Yeah, no, way, I guess so. it's a good yeah. point. Yeah. It, there's always the talk all year about him in the number three spot, and I think you look at his numbers. For one, he played 158 games, so he matched last year, and, like, you know, the best availability is the best thing, right? So he has that. And I think last year, like, some of the numbers, like, like average went down, but – he had more walks. His on-base was up. Maybe a little less slugging, but he's still at 21 home runs. The defense in left field was uh, not the same level as the gold glove season last year. But, like, he was so consistent, and I almost wonder, like, there was there was almost a, a level of extra criticism that I thought was unwarranted at times. Like, he was a good player for them this year. Like, that was the bottom line to me. Like, him in that lineup, I think he was consistent as well. And, and I think from – you go back to April, like, they extended those two guys, and I think you're sitting – you're now and you're feeling really good about that if you weren't already but you're still feeling good about it yeah I mean I think some of the hate for Hap was like him hitting in the three hole when you had Saya and Bellinger the team's two best hitters hitting behind them I, I sort of understand the point like I get what the argument behind that but like the Cubs lineup was very successful this season I think it, it going into the year nobody was sure what to make of it and I, I mean we thought Trey Mancini was going to be a big part of it maybe Eric Hosmer maybe Matt Mervis at some point you know like none of those guys ended up being positive factors for the lineup at all and yet this is still uh, I think they finished fifth or sixth right in, in the National League in most offensive categories or some of them even you know in the top three like this was a good offense in part because Hap was hitting third and he was getting on base in front of Bellinger and then later Seiya and all of that like there were there were a lot of good elements to it and nobody was complaining when it was working, which it did work most of the time. And statistically, it's kind of like been shown that the three hitter more often than not comes up with bases empty anyway. So it's kind of like a second leadoff hitter in the sense that like those first two guys don't get on. Yes, you have two outs, but do you want someone that's that's going to be more swing than miss or more swing and miss than maybe someone who can get on base for a Cody Bellinger who maybe hits a double and then that's that's a run like there's there's a little bit of strategy in there too in the sense that like that on base kind of helps in that situation. Yeah, and um, before we take a quick break here, I just wanted to throw out like one more quick thing that I felt like was a success was Edward Alzali locking down the yeah. closer role. We just didn't know what he was going to be. We thought maybe be a multi-inning reliever there, but like he locked it down. It looks like next year you have your closer going into the season, which I think is huge. You can build back from there. And then Julian Merriweather was a really quiet, underrated acquisition in the bullpen and he was the guy consistently all year he never went on the il he wasn't down for periods of time especially when the cubs needed him so i think those two guys in the bullpen were big success stories and most likely will be back in their current roles next year so you kind of build from there out and i think that's huge as they build a bullpen so let's take a quick break here when we come back we'll talk about a few things we've already touched on them uh, you know for the most part but like we'll talk about a few things that didn't go right and then we'll end the, the discussion by talking about whether this was a successful season for the Cubs or not. So stay tuned. You've got the jersey, the ball cap, the foam finger. Everyone can see you're a Chicago Cubs fan from a mile away. Ready to take your look to the next level? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. With no monthly fees, free ATMs nationwide, and a $300 bonus when you open your account. Start showing your Cubs pride with every purchase. Sign up at Wintrust.com Cubs. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and equal housing lender. All right, welcome back into the Cubs Weekly Podcast. 
Tim Stebbins, Andy Martinez, Tony Andraki. We're just going to break down what didn't go right. And we talked, by and large, like why the Cubs are not in the playoffs at this point. We know why they're here, uh, you know, playing all these close games and going 30 and 41 and one or two run games. I asked David Ross about that yesterday before the game, before the final game, and he just said it's doing the little things, and I think that's true. Like, when the Cubs were playing well, they were winning a lot of those close games by doing the little things, playing good defense, not making mistakes, uh, locking things down when you had a lead with the bullpen and so on, and when they struggled, they didn't do that. So, like, to get to that next step, it's doing those little things better, and to me, the, the one thing that stood out the most, I think, was a lack of bullpen depth on this team, was you, they went into this season Jed Hoyer, Carter Hawkins, as they built this, they figured that a lot of guys were going to be coming up through the farm system. Maybe not a lot, but at least several usable arms. And we saw that to some extent, but I don't think there was any guy that came up through the system that you felt you trusted down the stretch, that David Ross certainly didn't trust any of these guys in big moments. And they didn't acquire anybody except Jose Quas at the deadline as well to, to help the bullpen. Injury struck at the absolute worst time because these guys were I wouldn't say overused. I mean, they were used in the time that they needed to be used in a bunch of close games. But the lack of bullpen depth to me really stood out in that tough stretch, that 6-14 and 14 stretch that ended up making the Cubs season. And it was something that we've talked about on this podcast. We talked about off it. You saw this coming from a mile away that, like, they just didn't have enough arms on there, enough reliable guys. And I think that's what ultimately did it in. If I had to point to one thing, to me, it was the lack of reliable bullpen arms on this team. And you can also point to the fact that, like, the guys didn't come up through the system. Like, Brandon Hughes hurt all year. Brad Boxberger hurt all year. He was supposed to be the big signing. Daniel Palencia and Luke Little had their solid moments in lower leverage situations mostly. But, like, Cam Sanders didn't come up from from the you know from the minors there weren't these other guys that came up that you're like oh that guy's going to be a reliever of the future like jeremiah Estrada didn't materialize in anything like they didn't develop these guys keegan thompson took a big step back yeah like so many of these guys and i think that's what did it for me is the bullpen depth really hurt this team for me it kind of ties in with brad boxberger for me like a big portion of it was some of the free agent signings that didn't hit right and we talked about cody bellinger and we talked about dansby swanson how great those guys were and how you hit on the free agency, but some of those other free agent signings didn't pan out. And we touched on it a little bit, like Trey Mancini, right? He was he was a big signing, and and I don't I still don't think it was the wrong signing because they needed a first period. Yeah, two year deal exactly. But I don't, still don't think that was a the wrong move in the sense that they needed a first baseman. He was the second best first baseman on the market behind behind, behind Jose, Jose Bray, Bray, who yeah. uh, who his intentions were he wanted to sign with the team that wanted to win and defending world champions is a good place to go sign. And even he struggled early on. Like, he was getting booed in Houston early on in his tenure because of how much he was struggling. But Trey Mancini didn't, didn't pan out. Eric Hosmer really struggled and, and, and was, uh, was DFA'd midseason. Tucker Barnhart, who was expected to take some of the, the load off of Jan Gomes, never really materialized. Like, Brad Boxberger, again, too. Like, those guys just didn't, didn't step up to what they needed to be. And if one of those steps up, like maybe that is a, a few wins in a different direction as we talked about. Like maybe the tone of this podcast changes. Like to me, those, those free agent signings were were something that missed and, and kind of hurt ended up hurting the Cubs at the end of the year. Best first baseman on the market wound up being the guy who more often than not patrolled center field at Wrigley Field. Yeah, <laughs> that's yes, true. Yeah, Good point. That's true. Yeah. Um, I think I'm with you overall. Like the bullpen, like down the stretch when everyone's upset about why are you pitching this guy in this spot. The bottom line to me was, like, who else do you go to? And, yeah. You know, yeah. Brandon Hughes was hurt and, and ineffective. I would think the injury was a part of that, and we didn't see him. 
Keegan and Adbert, we talk about Adbert's emergence. I would have guessed going to the season it would be the opposite of how I know Keegan really just wasn't up here as much as he wasn't a factor. But like I would have thought Keegan was the guy that maybe was the ninth inning and Adbert would pick up a couple of innings. And it went the opposite. And for unfortunately for Keegan, it was far down the opposite way. Yeah. Um, Estrada, we didn't see after June. So, like we're saying, like the bullpen to me, that's the difference between winning games on the stretch that they didn't win. I think when you get into those tight games, you know, there's other factors always in one-run games, but I think that was stuff that happened. I would say if I pointed something else, long-winded here, is the rotation, this isn't the, the top thing for me, but the rotation was certainly something all year that I don't I don't think all five were ever clicking at once. That's a big ask. That's, yeah. that's always a big ask. Like, look at the Dodgers. They've been won, they might have won 9,900 games, and you look at the state of the rotation, but, like, just go from the beginning. Like, you talked about Smiley early on, how good he was. We know Stroman was great. We know Steele, the most consistent. But I think Hayden Wisniewski, right? Like, he started in the rotation, and he was someone that after a handful plus of starts, he went down to the minor leagues. And there was roster manipulation or, like, roster factors at that time that why they sent him down. But he, he, he's had some struggles in that role. Um, Jamison Tyon, the whole the whole first half. I mean, ERA near, near six, right? So, yeah. Um, then you get to the second half, and Tyon starts having success, and Assad steps in, and, and he emerges. And when Wicks comes up, he he had success. But we know Stroman, really from that London start on, with injuries and ineffectiveness, that went there, and Smiley wound up not even in the rotation. So like, I, it's a big ask to get all five rolling at once, and it's probably unrealistic. But I do think that like, there were certain moments where maybe you don't have to all be rolling at once. But when they had their struggles, it was it was pretty deep. I thought in, in how they struggled and. Um, when we're talking about the bullpen, right? Like the state of the bullpen. Like if you're getting if you're getting short starts, once every five or twice every five every turn through, right? Like that's going to impact your bullpen at some point, especially a thin bullpen. Yeah, I I think that's a great point, Tim, because it is really hard to get on a roll if unless your starting rotation is locked down, and it doesn't just have to be like you know giving up four runs in six innings is a, a not a horrible start, but like. A lot of those starts in there, particularly from like Smiley when he was struggling before he went to the bullpen, and Stroman when he struggled, they were struggling to even get out of the third inning. And like the Cubs were down seven or eight runs in some of those instances. And I know the Cubs came back against the White Sox in that one Stroman start from down seven or down eight, whatever it was that they were down to start. Like, but that's hard, and that is mentally, physically taxing, and it also puts a lot of pressure on the bullpen. And when we're saying the bullpen, all year it wasn't deep like even when Fulmer was healthy and in there and you felt like you had four good guys that was it it was four and you look at the Brewers they I don't think they've spent any time in the last five years where they've only had four guys that you feel like are in Craig Council's circle of trust like they have five or six or nine or whatever they ended this season with and like they have guys like uh, Uribe coming up through the system and like you know 23 year old who wasn't on anybody's radar and is like a lockdown setup guy like Devin Williams one of the best closers in the game my point is like that's the gap between the Brewers and the Cubs is like the pitching and particularly like the bullpen then. And I think that the starting rotation taxed the bullpen throughout the year and contributed to the fact that the bullpen faded down the stretch. So I think that's a good one, Tim. I, I agree with you. Like when you sign Drew Smiley and expect him to come back, you're not expecting him to be one of the team's better relievers for the final two months of the season. Yeah, you're really not. And, and the, the Hayden Wesdesky point to me was really interesting. Because I think yeah. like I think you and I both one of our uh, bold takes at the beginning of the season was 
like the Hayden Wisniewski would emerge as like one of the the, the, the top rotation Rookie pieces. Rookie candidate, some people thought. Yeah, yeah I, like, and I don't think, but I, I still don't think that was like far fetched, yeah. given how good he looked in spring. Given how I good said he, looked he would in, make an opening day start for the Cubs at some point in the future. Right, which like again, still one hundred percent could. Like yeah. it's not like out of the realm of possibilities, but like it looks looks a lot less likely than it did six months ago. And to me, that was like right. Like if you think about what happened with the struggles, and it had Hayden Wisniewski panned out and and really emerged as a starter. Maybe we are talking about something different. I yeah, think with sure. him too, though. Like we we talked thirty minutes ago about twenty twenty one Steele and Thompson, right? And nothing is ever a one for one comparison. Yeah. But like, I just want to be clear that we shouldn't and fans shouldn't just look at Wisniewski's one year and be like, cut right off. Right. Sure. Yeah, yeah. There's there is proof of the concept atop your own rotation. How that, often do guys struggle one year in and then are great later on? Like it's not you're not going to be successful right off the bat. And yeah. Jake Arias struggled for like six years of his career <laughs> turned into a Cy Young candidate. Like I mean yeah. it does everybody's on a different timeline for sure. So um, I think the Cubs still believe in Wesneski. Like he was and, and Keegan Thompson too. Like they were both guys that David Ross shouted out by name before Sunday's game of like these are guys that we're going to need to rely on next season. And I believe that. I mean like if those two guys come back with bigger years, I think that helps the the franchise out in in, uh, in a big way. But all right, so last question here before we end this podcast, we've talked about it a bunch. Um, our friend Bruce Levine has asked multiple people at the Cubs this question. And I think it's a good one. Was this a successful season? Was twenty twenty three a success for the Cubs? Andy, I'll start with you. What what do you say? I so. It's I've been and I've been thinking about it, but I don't think it is. Like I think it I think it is and it isn't. Like I think it is in the sense that like yes, you improved on your win total and like had cut, had you told the Cubs fans at the beginning of the year that they would win eighty three or yeah, eighty three games, Cubs would have signed, Cubs fans would have signed up for it just given how it went last year. But when you think about September sixth, you just sweep the Giants, you have like a ninety two percent chance to make the playoffs. You're counting you're kind of preparing for the playoffs, right? What we were talking about all right, who's going to start game one? Who's going to who's going to start game two? How does your bullpen look? Do you leave? Do you do this? Do you, like your 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 mind is so focused on the playoffs, for it to have faltered that much, I I don't I I think that's what puts a damper on the season. And Tom Ricketts said it uh, during Sunday's game that it's it's not a consolation prize. Like you don't want to call this exact quote was we don't we don't want to start calling seasons where we don't make the playoffs good seasons. I think that's a consolation prize, and we don't play for consolation prize. And I think that sums it up perfectly, right? Like. You don't look at an 83-1 season and say, well, we improved. Like, that's a good step. It's like, no. Like, especially given where you – like, had you been – had it been, like, last season where you, the first half was was tough and you're out of the, the, the playoff picture and you, you rise up to 83 wins, like, okay, maybe you can consider it a success. But given how the, the, the first five months of the season played out, I think you have to look at it as, like, not an entire success. Tim? I think in sports, like, I think if Giannis in, like, May, Giannis got asked this question and had an emotional response about is a season a success or failure, I do think we get hung up on that as observers, fans, whatever, like. Um, I think I'm with Tom, though. Like, I, I think we have – the bottom line to me is they took a step forward. They beat the external projections. I'd be curious how close they were to their own internal projections. But, like, Theo said it probably like early when you were on the beat, right? Like every season it's sacred, right? So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter that you were projected to do one thing in March and you got there. It's You look at how they got there and that's that's the disappointing part. So like, I don't think it was a failure. I'm not going to sit here and say that because there's a lot there's a lot more nuance to that than this. But like, I think Tom's right. Like it is, a you, you don't want to start saying that it was a good season because they missed the playoffs. Like the standards should be higher. They showed that for like 95% of the season, right? Like, 
September 6th, 92% chance to make the playoffs. The standard was high. So I'm not, I'm, I hate that whole question, like it's a failure. I, I wouldn't say it's a failure, but I'm with him. Like, you know, it would be a consolation prize to be like, well, we beat projections, so that makes it good. Like, no, like there, there was an opportunity here that unfortunately slipped by them. Yeah, I mean, I think you ask any player in that locker room, they would say that it's not a success for that reason alone. But I think it's such an interesting question this year because I am so tempted to say yes. I ultimately agree with you guys. I think Ricketts coming out and saying that was good. I mean, it's the, it's the chairman, right? It's the owner of the team saying that. And I think everybody else filtered down from Ross to Jed. I'll say it when we talked to him in a few days and, you know, I guarantee it and so on. Like, I... It, it's a no, it wasn't a successful season, but. Like, yeah. it's a no, yeah. but is my answer because when you do beat projections, that's a good thing. When you talk about on June 8th, they were 10 under 500. And I I believe the Cubs have never gone from 10 under 500 to 10 over 500 in the same season, right? Yeah. Let alone, first like, made the playoffs. So this is the first time in franchise history. That's pretty incredible. And I think what you said, Tim, is the standard. The Cubs set a new standard. So if nothing else, 2023, they set a new standard for themselves for what this franchise is, what fans should expect, what they expect of themselves. Dansby Swanson was huge in that. Cody Bellinger was huge in that. At least Swanson will be around. We're, again, we're not sure what Bellinger's future holds, but they started a culture, and David Ross was at the head of that. Nico Horner, Ian Happ, Dansby, all those guys helped uh, you know instill that culture, but they expect more out of themselves. Like Next year, absolutely, it's playoffs or bust. And depending on what they do in the offseason, it may be World Series or bust. And, like, you didn't come into this season, uh, nobody outside of the organization, I shouldn't say nobody, but most people outside of the organization were not picking the Cubs to even make the playoffs, let alone win the division, let alone be a World Series contender or so on. Ultimately, that didn't come to fruition. But, again, as, you know, a week into September, they were a game and a half out of first. Like, they were in a playoff position. They were right there. And to come all the way down and be eliminated on the second to last day of the season – there is a level of success in that because you set a new standard for yourselves. And and I think what gives me confidence to moving forward is what everybody has said after and like how passionate Dansby Swanson or Jan Gomes or you know, Nico Horner, Ian have all these other guys talk about is like they don't accept that from themselves. Nobody made any excuses. And I think it's so easy to, especially when there's a, a collapse like this or a level of collapse. It could be easy to make excuses, and I never heard that, not not publicly for sure. It wasn't like, oh, we were tired or, oh, we did this. Nobody ever said that. Nobody made excuses. It was, we were supposed to perform better, and we didn't down the stretch. And that is the kind of thing that can carry over to next year, and you instill a new belief in this team that they need to get over the hump and get to that position. So, like, I don't think it was a success. That being said, I do think there were a lot of successful parts, and I think moving forward, like my expectations are now higher for this team, and I think every Cubs fan should. And then the other aspect of like, I thought it was just a fun year. Like this was yeah, one of my yeah. most fun years that I've had watching the Cubs and particularly like covering the Cubs. Like it didn't end up like 2015, but to me, it reminded me of 2015 a lot. A team that came out of nowhere a little bit. A lot of people were counting out, especially outside of Chicago, were counting out this team. And they came back, and they had a lot of fun games on the stretch and a lot of fun comebacks from April all the way through the end of the year. And, like, that, from my position, selfishly, that's what I ask for. But also for, like, all the fans that I know, my family, my friends, all that, like, that's what I want for them is, like, the Cubs to matter on September 30th still. And, like, that people be into that more. And it had been a couple years since we had seen that and, like, the pandemic before that. So in that regard, too, I think it was a success because – that's what fans had wanted, and fans have every right to be upset and whatever else. But, like, I long-winded to use your phrase earlier, Tim, <laughs> but, like, it's so nuanced that there's so many asterisk, 
Astra, it's a hard word to say. Astra. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. There's so many beyond just the no. Like the short answer, no. But there's so many other things I would point to that say it's successful. Yeah, it is a, it's a really interesting. Like it is right. Like, yeah, like, yes, there were so many positives. There's so many, as Tom Rickus mentioned, like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of optimism with what is also coming, right? Like you think about, like, yes, Pete Carl Armstrong struggled in his first few weeks in the big leagues, but I don't think this is who he's going to be as a as a, as a play, major league player. You have guys like Owen Casey or Kevin Alcantara or Kate Horton who are, they were ben at Double Brown, A, even, Ben Brown, so. like the guys that are coming that, like, you expect that they'll be contributors and, and we could be talking about them in, like, a year or two as, like, similar to what we talked about with, with Justin Steele or Nico Horn or Ian Happ. Like, those, those are the, that's what gives the Cubs and should give Cubs fans optimism that like this isn't this wasn't a flash in the pan and they missed it and now who knows what what's going to happen like that that's kind of what gives should give them optimism a lot of nuance in the whole question but I do think as someone who doesn't like the question overall this (laughs) this season what does that do for the question a year from now like this like we're talking about standard and expectations are raised like next year like this this would be a really interesting question a year from now to see where they're at like depending like because now now like we're saying you got to carry this moment, momentum forward like it is a playoff thing next year you're going to next year thinking they should be competing for the playoffs like this year I think that was a hope but it wasn't a guarantee by any means I'd love to see what happens next year and then that's a question that in my seat like as much as I don't like to entertain it I would be very willing to entertain based on what they showed us this year to that point this season can become a failure if you if to your point they don't build on it. Like if, yeah. if this if this was this this is the the mountain peak then yeah then it definitely is not a success. All right, so October second, twenty twenty four, mark your calendar. Call me. <laughs> we'll, we'll reflect on yeah. whether or not we'll re-answer this question. I'll ask you your favorite question again, Tim, and we'll <laughs> figure out the answer. All right, that'll do it for this week's edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Uh, just overall, we want to thank you guys for tuning in, for watching, for listening to us all year. Like we said, it's been a really fun season. It's been really fun to do this podcast. That's not to say that this is the end, of course. You know, we're going to have another podcast later this week after Jed Hoyer talks. And uh, every week, at least one a week throughout the rest of the offseason, we'll have some fun guests on as well. But thank you so much for tuning in, for watching us. Uh, As always, we are sponsored by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe. And head to the new Marquee Sports Network app and check us out in video form there or on YouTube.